0: Good morning, Sanctuary. I hope you're doing well. Before we turn to the text for the day, a quick story that I think sheds light on on what the texts teach us about how we're to live in this moment. A couple of days ago, I offhandedly said to someone that these are difficult times. But of course, that's not quite true. What I really meant was these are difficult times for me and for the people I'm close with. Because of course, times are difficult always for someone. And what's happening for many of us in this moment is that we're finally coming aware of how difficult things have been for others, for our neighbors, and for people that we've seen but never really seen into, for people that we've heard about but never really listened to. And so I think it's absolutely essential that we recognize that even if we're more aware of the difficulty, the difficulty isn't new. The difficulty is, is, is very old. It's been there all of our lives and all of our parents' lives and all of our grandparents' lives. And now we're coming aware of it, which does, of course, bring new difficulties to us. But we have to be careful not to think that we're at the beginning of a problem. This problem has an old, old, old story. And we're just newly, many of us, are just newly coming aware of it. I think scripture is clear on this point that we have to rejoice with those who rejoice and at the same time weep with those who weep. So one of the things I think is important for me, and and I realized this after that conversation I had, is to remember this is not a new problem, even if it's creating new problems for me and I'm experiencing these problems in a new way. And I need to enter into this moment sensitized more than I've ever been before to what it means to be a person who weeps with those who weep and rejoices with those who rejoice. So that said, let's come to the texts for the day and begin with the Old Testament text, which is the story of Abraham and the visitation of the Lord. So we read that the Lord appears to Abraham as he sits in the opening of his tent. The text is purposely ambiguous. It says the Lord appears, but Abraham sees three men and at times... The angel of the Lord is referred to. The text is, in this way, witnessing to the mystery of God's presence in our lives. So Abraham sees these three men and rushes out to greet them. He washes their feet, he offers them water, he feeds them and invites them into conversation. And so I I think the first lesson this Old Testament reading has for us is that in this moment of difficulty, we have to be radically hospitable. Now, this, this is indeed radical hospitality because in the previous chapter we read that Abraham, 99-year-old Abraham, circumcises his son Ishmael and all of his servants and himself. And so in this chapter, when Abraham is sitting near his tent and looks up to see these three men, this is the Abraham recovering from his self-circumcision. And yet with all of that pain, which is unimaginable, he, he goes rushing out. To greet these three men who are in fact the presence of the Lord to him. And I think that all jokes aside, that the image of that Abraham of that man Abraham waddling out to care for these three strangers should remind us that even when hospitality is painful for us, we have we have to act. We have to enact the goodness of God. The the same hospitality God has given to us, we have to give to others. In the the epistle for the day, we read that while we were sinners, while we were trapped in evil, while we were estranged from God, while we were in rebellion against God, God comes to us and gives himself for us. And that same hospitality has to mark our lives. And so, like the newly circumcised Abraham, still sore from the operation, we, we have to rush out and meet those who are in need, trusting that what we do to the least of these, we do to him, that his presence to us is is in the presence of those in need. And this, I think, is the point of the story of the Emmaus disciples in Luke 24, who are on their way home. They meet a stranger who is Jesus. They don't know it. At the end of their long conversation, Jesus acts as if he will go on, and they insist no, 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 you have to come in with us. You have to come to our house. It's too late. And their hospitality opens up space in their lives for him to act. And he does. He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And their eyes are opened. And they see him for who he is. And their lives are changed forever. And I think this is, this is the lesson. Radical hospitality opens us up to the presence of God, which is always there, but not always accepted. The truth is God is always near to us, but it's only when we're hospitable that we open ourselves up to that nearness. And so in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this difficult time, in the midst of this coming aware, let yourself be radically hospitable, even if you have to waddle to do it. But when the men come near and the conversation with Abraham intensifies, They give a promise to Abraham that Abraham had already heard. In previous chapters, Abraham, the Lord had said to Abraham, you and Sarah shall have a son. And when the Lord said this to Abraham, Abraham fell down and laughed. And in this moment too, when the Lord says it to Abraham again, Sarah overhears it and laughs. And I think this is our second lesson from the reading, that we must not be cynical at the thought that God can do good in the midst of the brokenness of our world. I've felt this in myself, and I've heard it from so many people around me in the last couple of weeks. When we start to talk about the changes that are needed in our society, changes in our judicial system, changing in our policing, changes in our schools, changes in the way that our day-to-day lives function. When we start talking about all the things that need to change to address racism and white supremacy, It is easy to throw our heads back and laugh cynically, that this is too much, that there's no way that this kind of evil can be undone. Or we might laugh dismissively, as if this is not our responsibility, as if this evil is somebody else's to deal with, not ours. I think it's absolutely crucial that we not laugh cynically or dismissively, that we not face this evil that has been there all our lives, and now suddenly we are being made fully aware of it, or at least more fully aware of it. It's so important that we not respond to that with cynicism or neglect, that we, that we not laugh it away or laugh at it as impossible. We are responsible. This, this is, I think, the heart of the gospel, that there is that which only God can do, but because he is the God he is, he wants to do what only he can do in collaboration with us. Scripture is abundantly clear on this. You know, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you to do what he wills and what he pleases. And in Ephesians, we read that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or dare to imagine. And yet we're told that that God who does those things is the God who is in us and that that power is already at work within us. In the gospel reading for the day, Jesus sends his apostles out as sheep among wolves and gives them his authority and tells them that they they have the power, the creativity of God at work in their lives. And so we have to understand this point. That even though we will never make all wrongs right, and there are limits to what we can do, and even in what we do well, we come up short. The God who does what we cannot do has bound himself to us so that he does what he alone can do in what we do. It's not as if the right response to recognizing the power of God is your responsibility. That's like the the story of the man who buries his money in the ground because he's afraid to invest it or afraid to lose it. And it's possible for us to think we're trusting God when in reality we're simply distrusting ourselves and refusing a responsibility that's been entrusted to us. So, so hear me clearly. There is no way for you and me to do everything that needs to be done to make all the wrongs right that have been done to our brothers and sisters. There's no way for us to rid the world of racism through our efforts. There's no way for us to reform all that needs to be reformed through our efforts alone. But the God who can and does do those things can do it and does do it in collaboration with us, not in spite of us, not while we watch but while we are acting, while we are trusting that in the midst of whatever we are doing, God is doing what we cannot. But that, I think, is critical. And so that brings me to the last point for today. And that is the response of the angel to Sarah's laughter. He, he calls her out. He says, you laughed, but don't laugh because this will happen. And she at first denies it. I didn't laugh. Which, which shows how much this is bound up with, with fear and intimidation in the face of what seems to be so needed and yet impossible. But I don't think the angel, the Lord, is mocking Sarah. I don't think that God is rebuking her. I think instead God is laughing with Sarah so she can be freed up from laughing at herself. And this, I think, is is critical. Not only do we have to be radically hospitable, not only do we have to refuse cynicism and neglect and accept responsibility, we have to learn to laugh with God and with one another in the face of what's daunting us. There's a passage in Psalm 2 that talks about God laughing at the kings who are in rebellion against him. And again, I don't hear this as derisive. I don't hear this as condescending. I hear this as the laughter of the father or the laughter at the mother when a child is screaming or throwing a fit or angry. I can remember when I was a kid, you know, be times in which I would be so upset about something and my parents would laugh and I felt like they were laughing at me. But of course, they were just taking delight in me. And and I do believe that this is a moment in which we can and should laugh, not laugh cynically and not laugh dismissively, but laugh in hope. Laugh knowing that our God is the God who does the impossible. Our God is the God who creates from nothing, who raises the dead, who calls those things that are not as though they were, who laughs with us in order to free us up from laughing at ourselves, in order to free us toward responsibility. And this is what I want to leave with you. I want to encourage you that no matter how intimidating this may seem, this moment may seem, no matter how painful this moment is for you, God is with you. God is with us. God is acting. And he's calling us to collaborate with him. He's calling us to share his burden, to to speak his word and to do his deeds all the while trusting not in ourselves, but in him. And to do it all in joy, to do it all laughing, not because we're not taking the moment seriously, but because we know that our God is able and that no matter how difficult things may seem and no matter how painful it may be, our God is able and his goodness will triumph. He will make these wrongs right. And we can trust that, absolutely. So my prayer for you this morning, and the prayer for myself, is that I will learn to laugh, not as Sarah laughed in the beginning, but as she laughed in the end when she held her son, the son she never believed was possible. And I pray that we can laugh, laugh in the spirit, not because we're intimidated, but because we know if God is for us, nothing can stand against us.